listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. So I imagine all of us, in some way or another, uh, can look back on our past and uh, either a certain time in our past or a certain event in our past and think, if I could do it over, I wouldn't do that. So I don't know if it's a tattoo per se. Um, so maybe you tattooed uh, somebody's name on your neck and then you found out that they weren't faithful and you're thinking, well, maybe I don't want that name on my neck. I'll have a different name. Or, or maybe it's not something literally written on our body, but it's kind of been written on our emotions or our psyche, that we kind of carry these scars around with us, these events in our past that somehow we think disqualify us for uh, events in the future. So we sang a song just a minute ago that's speaking to God, saying, we are who you say I am. I am who you say I am. We are who you say we are. And that ultimately, we're not reducible to some events in our past. We're not reducible to some mistake in particular in our past. But we're much more than that. We're who God says we are. And we're who God has called us to be. And so as the Gospel of John kind of comes to an end, there are multiple characters that we see that may have done something in their past, but Jesus is speaking to them. Jesus is is saying to them, you are other than what you think. You are more, you are better than what you think. It happens with Mary Magdalene. It happens with Thomas. We focused on him last week. And today we're going to look at the final chapter of the Gospel of John, John chapter 21. And we're going to look at the character of Peter. So we've titled the sermon, Out of Retirement. And uh, this will make more sense uh, later uh, as to what's going on with Peter. But John 21 is to the Gospel of John what the post-credit scenes in a superhero movie are to the movie itself. So if you're unfamiliar with this phenomenon, uh, several years ago, a movie started giving us a little extra clip after the credits would roll. So you'd watch the movie, it would fade to black, and then the, you know, the soundtrack would kick up, and they start to scroll all of those credits. It's really amazing. I don't know how often you go to the movies. It's amazing how many people are involved in the making of a movie. They're just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And then eventually, you'll see this little scene. And it's something about the main characters, and sometimes it's funny and lighthearted, and sometimes it's kind of serious, and it's kind of showing you like what happened next in the life of the characters. So the Gospel of John comes to an end, really, in chapter 20. And it, it's, it, says, it says this. Uh, this is the last two verses of John chapter 20. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So Jesus did a lot of other things. He said a lot of other things that didn't get written down in this book. But what was written down in this book was written down so that you might believe and that through your believing in Jesus, you might receive eternal life. The end. Roll the credits. 
I mean, that's definitely the kind of end of the story. And then after the credits roll, we get John chapter 21. There's one last scene, and it's a scene of Peter, and he's gone fishing. He said to, he said to his friends that are around them, which include James and John and Thomas, who we know is a twin, and a couple of others, we're not sure who they are, literally in the scriptures it says, and two other disciples. <laughs> and Peter says, I'm going fishing. And they're going, they're, they're like, well, we'll go with you. And so, so they go fishing. But what does, what does that mean and, and what does that matter? I'd like us to kind of back up in the story a bit and look at the life of Peter. So unlike the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, the Gospel of John only mentions Peter a few times. Like he's mentioned when he's called to be a disciple. Like he's, he's not the original one. But his brother was one of the first two disciples that kind of followed Jesus. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. And two of his disciples say, Okay, <laughs> we'll go follow that guy. And one of those two was Andrew, uh, Peter's brother. And his brother comes to him and says, Hey, we found the Messiah. And so Peter follows. We then see him at the feeding of the 5,000. And he's not really a standout there as well. But Jesus is saying, we're going to feed all these people. And he's one of the people who speaks up. And it's like, well, how are we going to get that done? And then there's this real interesting story at the Last Supper. Or in John's Gospel, it's the story of the foot washing. And it works, it works something like this. Uh, Jesus, um, it, it's their final meal together. Uh, they, don't, they don't all know that yet, but Jesus does. And it's their final meal together, and Jesus is the host. They're celebrating the Passover. And during the meal, Jesus gets up, and he changes clothes. He dresses up like a slave, and he starts to wash the feet of the disciples. Now, this is, this is a, a whole other sermon. We'd have to kind of go into what's happening there. But for our purposes today, what's interesting is when he gets to Peter, Peter's like, you don't get to wash my feet. In fact, if anything, I should wash your feet. And Jesus is like, look, Peter, um, the one who has bathed has no need to wash except for the feet. If I don't wash your feet, you can't be my disciple. So Peter's like, oh, wow. I didn't realize it was a requirement. Well, in that case, wash my head and my hands too. And Jesus is like, look, I'm not offering to give you a bath. I'm not offering to rebaptize you. I'm saying to you, the one who has washed has no need to, to um, the one who has been bathed or washed, that's baptism, right? Has no need to repeat that except for the feet. And so Jesus goes on to wash the feet of Peter. So Peter, I mean, he's obviously an important character in the story. He's someone to kind of emulate in a lot of ways. He seems to be a leader amongst the disciples. So I don't want to tell the story in such a way that it makes him sound like a dunce or someone who's, who's not kind of worthy of some admiration. But he definitely had kind of a DIY approach to life. You know, Peter is going to pull himself up by his own bootstraps and he's just going to get it done. And so he seems to be, even as he tries to follow Jesus, uh, he seems to be in charge um, or want to be in charge. Because first he tells Jesus, no, you can't do that. And then Jesus says, well, I have to. And he goes, okay, well, then, then do it like this. You know, don't just do that. Do some more. Right? He's always kind of telling Jesus how to do things. The next time we see Peter 
It's at uh, Jesus' arrest. And so Jesus and the disciples have made their way into the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is praying, and here come the Roman military along with the high priest's uh, servants and some Jewish leaders and Judas. And Judas obviously betrays Jesus in kind of identifying him. But Peter kind of pulls out a sword and cuts off the ear of this guy who's there. He's one of the servants of the high priest. Now, a couple of things stand out to me about this story. There are a lot of Roman soldiers around there. It's interesting Peter didn't go after them with the sword, right? He goes after this slave of the high priest, and he ends up cutting the guy's ear off. And I hear Jesus, and he's like, Peter, no, 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 no. The kingdom is not like that. And so he, he picks up the guy's ear and, and puts it back on, right? So, so Peter, once again, he's going he's gonna to take charge. It sounds a lot like Peter as we see in, in the uh, Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where when, when Peter says, you are the Christ, Jesus says, but I will have to die as the Christ. And Peter says, I would never let that happen. So, so Peter's approach to following Jesus is to prevent the crucifixion. Like, Peter, calm down, brother. It's not all about you. So the next time we see Peter is he's followed along as Jesus has been arrested and Jesus is being taken to Caiaphas' house. He's the high priest. And Peter's kind of following along behind him. And as they take uh, Jesus into the house of Caiaphas, Peter kind of follows along. There's another disciple with him who kind of vouches for him that enables him to get into the courtyard of Caiaphas. And there, we are told, is a charcoal fire, a campfire. And, there, and around that fire, there are people kind of warming themselves. And Peter's there. And somebody at the fire says, hey, you're from Galilee. You're with that guy they just arrested. And Peter's like, no, I'm not. I'm not with him. I'm not even from Galilee. Now, he probably didn't say that part. But kind of hard, hard to, you know, uh, sometimes you hear someone's accent and you can kind of, kind of spot where they're from. If not exactly where they're from, but you kind of know where they're from. Right? Like that person's from Boston, that person's from somewhere in the south. Kind of a distinct accent. So it happens a second time. Someone comes up to him and says, Hey, uh, I know you. You're from Galilee. You're with that guy they just arrested. And he's like, No, no, I'm not with them. I'm just warming myself by the fire. And then a third person says, Hey, you're, you're a follower of Jesus, of Nazareth. He's, he's in, in court right now. They're, they're trying to decide what to do with him. And he swears, I don't know that man. And as the story tells us, uh, the rooster crows. And it fulfills a prophecy that Jesus has said that before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. Now that must have sounded impossible to Peter. Like when Jesus said that to him, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will have denied that you know me three times. And I have to imagine that I, Peter would have thought, well, I don't know what he's talking about, but it must be one of those metaphors he likes to use because that's just impossible. And we'd probably like to think that about ourselves as well. 
Like, we'd like to think that I would never say that I'm, I'm, I would never deny that I'm a follower of Jesus. Right? Surely, you, you feel like that. I mean, some of you feel confident enough in your faith that you feel like you would never verbally say, I'm not a follower of Jesus. But here's the kicker. When we kind of do things ourselves, when we have kind of Peter's approach to being in the world, where, where the Lord says, this is what to do, and we say, oh, I've got a better idea. <laughs> or when the, the Lord, uh, you know, we find ourselves in difficult situations, and we're like, well, I need to come to the rescue of God, because obviously God needs some help. Right? And we feel like we need to defend God or we need to defend the Bible or we need to kind of stand up for God because poor old God just won't stand up for himself. And we end up hurting other people. We cut off their ears. We destroy their character. We marginalize them for the sake of the gospel. And I hear Jesus saying, Oh, no, Robbie, no. Slow down, son. It's going to be all right, but don't do it like that. And he's having to heal somebody I hurt in the name of Jesus. And so here's, I think, the danger. Long before we ever deny with our mouth that we don't know Jesus or we don't follow Jesus, we have already denied God, Jesus, with our actions. So that's what's happening with Peter. It's not as though it is like show up in the courtyard of Caiaphas having done everything right all of his life and then all of a sudden he just said well I don't even know the Lord <laughs> right no it's his actions had been denying Jesus been denying Jesus's lordship being denying Jesus's way of being in the world and that's what led him to the point where he verbally gave affirmation to a life that he had been living and I think for Peter, he felt like that disqualified him. He had said, in the moment of crisis, not just once, not just twice, but three times, I don't know that man. And then, of course, the next morning, Jesus is crucified. And I think Peter's devastated. All that he had hoped for. All, all his energy, all his time, all its aspirations, all of his dreams, all of his aims have been wrapped up into Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah, and now the Romans had killed him. And it feels like the story's over. But then he hears from Mary Magdalene that the tomb is empty. And so he gets the beloved disciple and he says, let's go. And they run down to the tomb. And that whippersnapper, the beloved disciple, apparently is a fast runner, he outruns Peter. <laughs> but as a young person, he doesn't know what to do exactly, so he just stands there at the door. So when Peter catches up to him, he goes into the tomb, and they look around, and it's empty. Sure enough. But I don't think Peter rejoices in that moment. I think Peter is like, uh-oh. I'm going to have to um, face this guy again. Like the last time anybody asked me about him, I said, I don't know him. So Peter's there when, when um, 
Jesus shows up and, and they all believe and it says Jesus breathes and, and they receive the Spirit and Jesus said, as the Father sends me, so I send you. Right? So he is commissioned. He, he's part of that kind of apostle installation ceremony there in chapter 20. And then that's the whole part when you know, Thomas wasn't there and then he, you know, he wasn't sure what happened and then there's a second time and it's all of them and Thomas and Jesus shows up again and Thomas gets kind of rehabilitated, right? And he confesses, my Lord and my God. But we haven't heard a story like that for Peter. He's, he's there because it says all the disciples except for Thomas or all of the disciples and Thomas. But he's not mentioned. I wonder what he's doing. I wonder what he's thinking. Well, the book comes to an end there in chapter 20. All of these things have been written down so that you would believe. Other things happened, other things were said, but what has been written has been written so that you may believe, and believing you may receive eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And then there's this story. It's the story of Peter. In John 21, it says this, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Now, this is not to say that um, they just kind of had a long weekend, and so they thought they'd get some fishing in. Peter's occupation was a fisherman. This is what Peter did for a living. Peter had been called by Jesus, had been commissioned, had been sent to be an apostle, right? To kind of go into full-time ministry. But I think at this point, he's feeling like that must be an impossibility for me. I've been disqualified. I took a tattoo that said, long live Caesar. Right? I've denied the Christ. So there's a, there's a longer part of the story here that uh, Jesus tells them, hey, he shows up on the shoreline, and he's like, you guys been fishing all night? And they're like, yeah. And uh, he goes, well, cast your net on the other side. And they do, and they catch all these fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved looks and says, it's the Lord. And, and it says, the text says that Peter puts his clothes back on and jumps in the water and goes to the shore. Now, there's a lot there that we're not, we don't have time to talk about today, and I'm not sure a mixed company I should be talking about. Why was Peter fishing naked? <laughs> Why is it that he puts his clothes on if he's going to jump in the water? Do you think maybe this is going to be another one of those walk on the water things? I'm not sure. But in any case... Peter gets to the shoreline first. He seems anxious, anxious maybe to, to reconcile, to kind of make things right. Right? So he gets there. I mean, maybe one of the reasons he got dressed is because he's going to see Jesus. He doesn't want to get there undressed, right? Lots of possibilities. And the story goes on. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire, a campfire. Uh, there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. 
So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come, have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same thing with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he had been raised from the dead. So the first time, of course, is when Thomas wasn't there, and then when Thomas was there, and they're saying this is the, this is the third time. When he had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Now, I wonder what he meant. I wonder what Jesus meant when he said, do you love me more than these? I mean, is he, is he saying, do you love me? Because he's pulled Simon over to the side. And he's like, so Peter, do, do you love me more than those other disciples love me? I mean, I think that's an impossibility, right? This is not a competition. It's not who loves God the best. And so the only other available thing is the fish. Do you love me more than the fish? Well, that seems obvious. Well, yes, Lord. But then he says to him, feed my lambs. Like, Peter, which do you love more, being a fisherman or following me? Peter, what are you going to do with your life? What's going to happen to you? Who do you love? And he says, Lord, I love you. A second time, we'll move on with the text here. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used, uh, used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grew old, you, uh, um, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. And then parenthetically, we get this comment. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he, Peter, would glorify God. And after he said this to him, and after this, he said to him, follow me. So I've heard this text preached a lot. And sometimes uh, people want to make a big deal that there are two different words of love that are used in this passage. One is from agapao, where we get agape, and the other phileo, where we get the term phileo. And if you're, you know, if you're a big C.S. Lewis fan, you might have read his book, The Four Loves, and talks about these four different words in the Greek language for love. Uh, I'm, I'm here to tell you that uh, knowing a little bit of Greek is a dangerous thing. <laughs> um, there, are, there are two different words for love, that's sure, but there's also two different words for sheep, and there's two different words for no. And when we speak, we speak with synonyms. And a dictionary doesn't so much determine the meaning of the word, it just gives us possibilities. What determines the meaning of the word is, is its context. And throughout the Gospel of John, these two different words for no are used as synonyms. These two different words for sheep are used as synonyms. And these two different words for love are used as synonyms. I mean, if we wanted to parse it out somehow in some particular way, at one point, 
Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me? And when he says yes, he's like, well, take care of the lambs, like the baby ones, which means volunteer in Upstreet. And then at another point, at another point, he says, uh, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he uses the word not lambs, but sheep, right? And he says, well, in that case, you should come to love your church day. <laughs> right? Um, and, and what does it mean to know? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he uses different words for no. Um, that's just because that's how we talk. When we speak, we don't always say the word talk. Sometimes we say the word speak. Sometimes we say the word car. Sometimes we say the word truck or automobile or van. It doesn't mean it's different things. It's just, it's just natural way of communicating. We have overread this. We've overinterpreted it. There's a really basic message here. And, and in this case, I think the English translation is helpful because it smooths it out a bit for us. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then take care of my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. There's only two times that we see fire in the Gospel of John. One is in the courtyard of Caiaphas, and the other is on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Peter is standing by one of them, and three times he says, I don't know that man. And then it looks as though he's ready to give it up. That, that Jesus has been raised from the dead, but he's gone fishing. Jesus has come back from the, from the dead, and Peter's response is, I guess I still can fish. I am who you say I am. Peter is who Jesus says he is, not who Peter says he is. Jesus invites him over next to a fire, the only other fire mentioned in the gospel, and three times he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord. And it says after the third time that he asks, Peter, do you love me? Peter's grieved. Right? He gets it. It's that, oh, yeah. This, I knew this fire reminded me of something. The last time I was standing next to a charcoal fire, I said, I didn't know you. But now you've given me the opportunity to say, not just do I know you, but I love you. It ends, and this is very typical of John's gospel, with this, uh, the King James would say, verily, verily, right? Amen, amen, truly, truly, right? That's code for pay attention, this is the moral of the story, <laughs> right? We've got this story, but now we want, this is your takeaway, this is what you, we want you to think about the rest of the week. And Jesus said, look, when you're young, you kind of do what you want to do, you put on your own belt, all's cool, but when you get old, Somebody else starts to dress you, and they kind of take you places you don't want to go. This is interesting about uh, maturity. Like we think in terms of physical maturity, that becoming more mature is becoming more independent, right? Maturity is ever-increasing levels of independence. So if you have a toddler, right, they don't do anything for themselves, right? They don't feed themselves. They don't change themselves. 
you know, you're lucky if they can get their shoes on, you know, the Velcro maybe. But as, as you get older, you start to do more and more things for yourself. Right? You start to dress yourself, you start to feed yourself, you start to take care of yourself a bit, you're brushing your own teeth. Uh, maybe you're starting to drive, so you're driving yourself somewhere. And as you get older, maybe you start to pay a few bills, right? And so maturity is ever-increasing levels of independence. Except that advanced maturity kind of moves in the other direction. Advanced maturity, when you're really mature, your independence starts to seep away from you. And your level of dependence starts to go up. Now, physically, we might, we might lament that. We might say, oh, no, I don't want that to happen. But I don't think Jesus is just talking about physicality. I think Jesus is talking about spirituality. And I think spiritually, maturity is like it is in, in the physical world. That really advanced maturity is about increasing levels of dependence, not increasing levels of independence. Amen. Thank you. When, when you really get mature as a follower of Christ, you're not the independent person who's ready to go out and take the world by the tail. That's what happened when you were first converted. You were all excited. You thought you could do it all. You were a world changer, right? World changer, you couldn't even change yourself. It was God's grace that changed you. It was God's grace that saved you. And so as we grow in the faith, we learn that truly growing up in the faith is about becoming more dependent on God, leaning into God, trusting God, believing that God is the one who makes things right, that God is the one who saves, that God is the one who sanctifies, that God is the one who delivers, that God is the one who acts. That's what spiritual maturity is all about, and that's what Peter's learning in this lesson. If there ever was a DIY disciple, it was Peter. Like he thought he could do it himself. And Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 come on. No, 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 come on. No, 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 not like that. No, put the sword down. It's like this. And that's exactly where the story ends with Peter. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. Peter goes on to be the keynote speaker of the day of Pentecost. He goes on to kind of be one of the leaders, once again, of the disciples and the apostles in the early church. And he's kind of the founder of the church in Rome. Right? Peter is completely and utterly rehabilitated. He is called out of retirement. It's like, he's like, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. No, wait, maybe I'll have to retire because I, I really messed up. I mean, I really messed up. I knew I should not have tattooed 666 on my forehead. I'm sorry. Can, can we do a tattoo cover-up? Can we find a way? Can we find a way? And here's the thing. Yes, we can find the way. But the way is not some path. It's a person. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come to me. I'll show you the Father. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. 
If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.